Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. Recently, Dr. Scott Gottlieb called on the life science industry to modernize our approach to clinical trials. Dr. Gottlieb said modernizing clinical trials is an agency-wide priority. We know that clinical trials are expensive, inaccessible, and in many cases, fail. And if we don't make changes, especially with all the changes and opportunities, we will not be able to address some of the greatest health challenges of our time. I recently had the pleasure to sit with Cynthia Verst, President, Design and Delivery Innovation for the Research and Development Solutions Organization at IQVIA, where we talked about innovation and strategic approaches to modernize clinical trials. Welcome, Cindy. I'm so delighted to have you join me today. Great. Thank you, Valerie. Um, Cindy, can we begin with um, a little bit about your background and uh, your role at IQVIA? Yeah, terrific. Um, I've uh, got a PharmD uh, by background and actually about 30 years in the uh, biopharmaceutical arena, about 10 years of which in the pharmaceutical arena and medical affairs as well as on the CRO industry, and I've actually spent some time at a payer at United Health Group as well. And my role here at IQVIA, actually I lead the RNDS Design and Delivery Innovation Team. As you know, Dr. Scott Gottlieb has said that modernizing clinical trials will be an agency-wide priority, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that and to talk to you about what that means to modernize clinical trials. So I feel like it's a bit of a loaded question, but I'd love to get your take on what Dr. Scottlieb had to um, share and then to get your thoughts on what you see as the meaning of modernizing clinical trials. Yeah, so maybe we'll, we'll start firstly with Commissioner Gottlieb's commentary, and, and it's true that it, it does take a village here in terms of adopting and implementing uh, modernization and and that innovation associated with clinical trials. I think from a a CRO point of view and having, um, I'm currently the chair of ACRO, you know, we've had some personal um, insights and, and personal discussions with Commissioner Gottlieb and, you know, really highlighting that transformation is and the investment thereof is certainly not only unique to the sponsor side of the of the coin but also on the CRO side spending an incredible investment dollars to help with innovation and driving if you will those required changes in order to get of course to the holy grail and that is bringing cures and treatments and improving outcomes for our patients as quickly as we can. You know, the proverbial getting the right drug to the right patients at the right time and at the right price tag. And I would say, you know, what we've come to appreciate is that there are several resistors, if you will, to adoption. The first and the obvious is that of just change management, you know, and and how these various stakeholders are adopting the changes because, you know, having a solution is one thing, but getting it embedded and rooted within one's organization and the required changes, not only from a behavioral modification point of view, but processes and technology and the sheer unanticipated burdens and complexities are areas and reasons for resistance. But in addition, regulatory uncertainty. And as a part of ACRO and and as uh, recently published in the pink sheets, ACRO actually shared, Doug Petticord shared with Pink Sheets that, you know, we had a discussion with 
Dr. Gottlieb on this front and highlighting that quite candidly, we're seeing disparity amongst the regulators in terms of, as an example, risk-based monitoring and audit findings. And that uncertainty of risks really shed light in terms of how the agency can help us with even highlighting maybe best practices. Guidance is great, but we're going to need more, I think, definitive direction from the agencies and to help alleviate some of that concern. The second part of your question is, what does it mean to me in terms of modernizing clinical trials? Um, You know, I I think there's a three-pronged approach um, in terms of how do we modernize or what it means to me. And I I think, number one, there is the ability to uber-optimize clinical development and optimizing clinical trials, but also there's just complete transformation that's required, be it novel trial designs, which is the, you know, the, um, the, the number two um, aspect, uh, and that is not only protocol designs, for instance, leveraging real-world comparator arms, obviating the need for that second arm, and of course, obviating the need for lower patient numbers as a result, and that is especially in oncology and rare diseases. But it's also novel trial designs as it pertains to some of the operational components like virtual trials, and that is decentralized uh, trials. And then the third area, I think, for the modernization of clinical trials, it's about that patient journey, the patient aspect from beginning to end of a clinical trial. So those are some of the things that come to my mind when thinking about uh, the means to modernize clinical trials. What can we be doing more to make it easier for patients? Great question. So what I mean by the patient journey is really at the very beginning, uh, having the patient voice, having, you know, call it, you know, there are many different synonyms of social listening, et cetera, but being able to have the patients with the disease indication review the protocol and review the schedule of events and literally, if you will, simulate that day in the life of the patient journey during that clinical trial participation. So not just protocol input, which is terrific, but also getting their points of view in terms of the logistical aspects of of the trial. In addition, you know, we we are using real-world evidence, for instance, and thinking about the standard of care by country and marrying that with the patient voice to really understand what is that patient friction coefficient, if you will, and that how does it compare against the standard of care. And that usually gives us a pretty good predictive model of the relative interest for patient recruitment and most certainly regarding patient retention parameters. But keeping that patient engaged even during the trial, and as you well know, there are many standards that are now being assessed in terms of how to give and in what format Mm. patient trial results back during the trial or after the trial. And even upon trial completion, getting the patient's feedback and understand, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, that helps us to design even more, if you will, better informed trials um, as a consequence. 
So those are some of the notions or, if you will, um, qualifications about what we mean by the day in the life of a patient and the patient engagement itself. I'm sort of working backwards with my questioning because um, you talked about this you know, three-prong approach, and I, starting with the end in mind, which, of course, is the patient. If I could bring you back to um, number one, you talked about this uber-optimization of clinical development. That's very costly, time-consuming. What's going on? What do we have to look forward to better optimize the way we do clinical development? Love to get your thoughts on that. Right, right. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to answer that question Firstly, with the statement um, surrounding the merger of legacy IMS and legacy quintiles. In this instance, okay. there were the, this was a merger of equals, as you know. Um, of course, legacy IMS having the world's largest curation of real-world evidence, and, and that consisting of, obviously, Rx, longitudinal uh, prescription data, but also a treasure trove of claims data, uh, electronic medical records, laboratory records, hospital records, and the list goes on. And that ability uh, that has curated and integrated and actually storing those data sets in a very uh, large big data factory, as it's called, and all hosted on a cloud-based platform and in collaboration with Salesforce, being able to link that to technology, most importantly, uh, one being that master data management capability called OneKey. And this technology is, is in fact, enabling data in a de-identified manner to be able to link individual physician with de-identified individual patients. So the point here is very rich insights are able to be derived from such a data and technology capability that enables us, when linked to the, if you will, legacy quintiles, the world's largest clinical developer, um, and finally wrapped around that advanced analytics to help us generate insights to be deployed right at the very uh, area of decision-making, operationally speaking, which all in those four critical components, that is rich global data assets, uh, number two, the technology platform capability to generate insights in a very urgent and speedy manner, number three, domain expertise of not only, you know, the uh, the data and technology, but from a clinical development point of view, and then round it out with advanced predictive analytics, that has enabled us to uber-optimize, for instance, protocol development, being able to look around corners and identifying protocol issues that would have otherwise resulted in an amendment that, as you well know, um, on average, three to six month delays dealing with protocol amendments, but also not only getting to the right protocol, but we've shifted the paradigm. The paradigm is instead of going to the right sites that we think are the right sites, as we would do traditionally, we are firstly going to where the right patients are that are bespoke and absolutely fit for purpose for an individualized protocol. And then and only then 
do we get to the right sites, the right investigators that quite frankly with predictive algorithms were able to predict those right physicians, investigators that have the right patient population, but also have the right propensity and the increased probability of success in terms of rendering high quality data and, um, and rendering very expeditious patient recruitment along the way. So those are some examples of how we're levering these four critical components to actually change the way that we're getting to the right protocols, uh, the right patient population, and the right sites. And you know, now that we've been at this for two and a half years, um, approaching two and a half years, we're act actually seeing the embryonic shoots that we are moving the needle. That is, that we are uh, delineating uh, the cycle time, we're decreasing cycle times uh, to the tune of 40 to 50% reduction and timelines that it would take us to traditionally get to the right sites, you know, the site identification process. And importantly, we are demonstrating that we are increasing the patient enrollment rates versus our benchmarks to the tune of 35% of increasing patient recruitment rates. So we're seeing that now, of course, our cycle times are very lengthy. So we're just seeing some of these completed last patient in of the trials that we put into this new innovation engine, but we are actually seeing some very uh, positive results, uh, albeit with smaller sample sizes. You know, I was going to ask you, when you put all this together, like what does it do and how does it impact the trial and the patient? So thank you for giving us some insight into that. When you talk about domain expertise, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, you bet, you bet. You know, the domain expertise, when thinking about, and we've seen some recent citations of some enterprise CEOs highlighting that, boy, this big data situation, it's complex. It's really difficult. And in fact, this has been really the, the core competency of legacy um, IMS for the last 60 plus years and that domain expertise, understanding, in fact, how to curate data, how to link data, how to validate data sets, and in fact, how to wrap around technology capabilities to be able to get to those relative insights. And in fact, the domain expertise of technology, how to host, how to automate, and, and being able to take a software, you know, build it once, use it many, posting it in the cloud. And in fact, this, this uh, domain expertise has enabled us to develop over a thousand analytics relating to uh, by entry site identification and feasibility analytics that what took us at the very beginning when we just merged nearly two and, two and a half years ago, one protocol, one country, it took us about four to six weeks to actually derive insights, uh, meaningful insights, in which now we're able to do that in minutes as a consequence of the domain expertise of the, the, the data, uh, the technology, and of course, domain expertise of the data scientists. 
and, and uh, the, the new merged entity, we say that we're not a CRO, we're not a data company, we're not a tech company, we're a human data science company. That's where all these worlds collide. And of course, that's the last critical domain element, the domain expertise of clinical development, therapeutic medical expertise. And when all of that culminates, that's where we think that, it, that renders, if you will, the changes and, of course, the, the transformation uh, that's required in this clinical development space. Do you see um, what you're doing being able to expand? Can we bring together one of these days the, the world of clinical research and the world of care? And when you look at hospital systems and health systems, do you see a world, you know, when I think about modernizing clinical trials, where we can connect these two together and really expedite how we can even further identify patients and physicians and be able to provide every patient with a clinical trial that wants one. Yeah, and absolutely. You know, when we are faced with some of the tough, sobering statistics of less than 0.2% of patients in clinical trials actually stemming from their physicians, caring physicians recommending them for clinical trials, it really highlights uh, on one hand it's sobering on 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 the other it's very opportunistic as you highlight and because of the targeted therapies that are being focused upon this means that the eligible trial population is becomes it's becoming smaller and smaller over time and it's becoming increasingly difficult to find those right patients and of course that's being driven not only by regulators but payers alike. And that heterogeneity of treatment response, you know, it goes back to the holy grail of the right drug, the right, pharma, the, the right agent for the right patient population at the right time at the right price tag. And so these worlds within the healthcare ecosystem can and should coalesce. And, you know, we call that clinical research as a care option. And, and what it is going to require for this to become a reality is being able to, just like we're doing in clinical research, what I just described to you, being able to get to the right patient population with the right investigators, similarly, we're going to need to take that tech and data enablement and put it right at the fingertips of these large health systems, being able to enable the community physicians to be involved in clinical research in a very seamless, burdensomeless manner. And quite right. candidly, it, it's a big, as you well know, a flag yeah. that Janet Woodcock has been carrying for many years. And really, that's the call to action. Where do we start? What are the priorities to modernizing clinical trials? Well, you know, I'm happy to be very transparent because it is, I, I think, uh, part of our journey. Two and a half years into this, we began with that, um, if you will, clinical development optimization, um, as I described earlier. 2.0 for us, as we look at the horizon, what are we doubling down on? You know, we're doubling down on AI and machine learning, the, the predictive algorithms helping us to even being able to predict disease diagnoses earlier. 
we're formulating algorithms and certain therapeutic indications and helping us to get, again, population health, helping to increase the patient population uh, that are addressable and a, if you will, targeted populations for clinical research, number one. Number two, as you've just highlighted, we, we are uh, developing tools and assets to help us in that health research ecosystem, i.e., how do we get community physicians involved? We're developing tech. We're developing data enablement. Uh, we're, we're partnering uh, with uh, companies that are already embedded within very large, for instance, oncology networks and helping them to pre-screen and recruit patients much more expeditiously, as an example. And thirdly, we're very focused on novel trial designs. Uh, with these assets in mind, you know, we're develop developing the, the tools, the processes, the capabilities to enable RWE comparator arms. We are looking at tools that enable us to conduct open-label extension studies much more cost-sensitively, leveraging RWE in, in a, um, a very uh, deliberate modality. And um, quite frankly, we are, you know, I would say the last category on this novel front, we are doubling down on virtual trials. We do know that that's also very digitalized um, in terms of technology. The integration and orchestration of embedded technology is so critical there. And of course, hand in glove with virtual trials comes, you know, patient engagement, direct to patient uh, approaches and helping to access the right patient population, recruit that right patient population, and keeping that population engaged before, during, and after clinical trials. What's next for IQVIA? Yeah, I think, you know, it is a continued evolution in this human data sciences. You know, I, I think that, that what's next is uh, likely a continuation of what we've just highlighted here. Um, it, it, what's next is a very deliberate focus on the forefront molecule to market. We think the industry at large is fraught with white space that is slowing down and retarding that product, uh, that cure, that treatment, getting to the market faster. Um, and we think by being able to orchestrate technology, the digital platform, if you will, and these wraparound capabilities that we just highlighted, could actually tear down those silos, uh, rid of those white spaces, and being able to design and conduct clinical development trials uh, faster, more cost-sensitively, and with much greater value creation along the way. And, and I would say a part of that, too, noting the regulations and noting the evolution that's occurring, especially in the oncology space, the cell gene therapy, rare diseases, we are going to be seeing, and we already are, earlier approval processes. And that is, you know, the adaptive uh, trial designs. Um, the days are gone that sponsors are thinking about positioning and reimbursability, peri-approval. We know that, you know, part of this molecule to market, it's about designing CDPs, clinical development 
programs that have holistic, comprehensive evidentiary requirements built in much earlier in the process, such that the healthcare ecosystem stakeholders are getting the right evidence at the right time, i.e. earlier, and, and that enabling decisions to occur much more expeditiously. Well, this is um, really exciting progress and um, very exciting for the advancement of human data science. Cindy, I, I want to thank you um, so much for discussing your view on, on modernizing clinical trials and for giving us uh, an insight for the horizon. Thank you so much again. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Valerie. For more information about IQVIA, visit IQVIA.com. And for more information about PharmaTalk radio podcasts, visit theconferenceforum.org. Thank you.